Hello and welcome. You're watching World at War with me, Rohit Wellington. The Middle East is one of the most volatile regions in the world. And stoking the tensions further this week, Israel has carried out drone strikes on an Iranian military facility in the city of Isfahan. According to reports, Israel used its heaviest drone, Ethan, to carry out this strike. But what exactly has Israel achieved with this strike? And with Netanyahu in the past having repeatedly opposed the negotiations over the Iranian nuclear deal, how are things expected to escalate further between these two nations? Our next report explores. For the first time, Israel has acknowledged that it carried out drone strikes on Iran. On the 28th of January, an alleged Iranian defense factory came under attack on the outskirts of Isfahan, a city that is otherwise famous for its culture and architecture. The details of the Isfahan attack are sketchy with claims and counterclaims. A New York Times report ascribed the drone attack to be the handiwork of Mossad, Israel's premier intelligence agency. Tehran claims the three Israeli drones were launched at the facility, out of which it shot down two successfully. But the third drone made it through to strike the building. Though the damage done has been described as minor and no injuries were reported, the Iranian state television later aired footage of debris from the drones that it claims to have shot down which resembled the commercially available quadcopters. In addition to this, the Iranian Defense Ministry called the site only a workshop without elaborating further, condemning the drone attack as yet another Israeli effort to derail Iran's nuclear program. The Iranian Foreign Minister insisted that Tehran remains undeterred and will continue with its nuclear program. This cowardly attack was carried out against us. Our security bodies are powerfully acting to ensure maximum national security and such moves can't impact our nuclear scientists' will and intentions to achieve peaceful nuclear energy. Tel Aviv, though, has an entirely different take on the matter. An unidentified Israeli general claimed that Israel's heaviest long-range drone, Aten, was used in the Isfahan attack. Aten is capable of carrying munitions with an effective payload of around a ton, including gravity bombs. In Israeli service since 2006, according to its manufacturer, Israel Aerospace Industries, the Aten drone can fly at an altitude of 45,000 feet for at least 30 hours. With a wingspan as wide as that of a Boeing 737, Aten can carry heavier bomb loads than other planes. And with a range of 7,400 kilometers, targets in Iran are well within its reach. Tel Aviv, in line with its policy of withholding comment on specific incidents, has declined to comment on Isfahan attack. A pioneer in the usage of drones in combat for 20 years, Israel officially acknowledged their use only in July 2022. What prompted Israel to carry out the attack on Isfahan is not immediately clear. But the Israeli policy of attempting to sabotage Iran's nuclear facilities is well established. In 2010, Israel deployed the Stuxnet malware to destroy hundreds of centrifuges at the Natanz nuclear facility. In 2012, Iran complained of another malware called Flame that was used to infect computers at Iran's nuclear facilities.
In 2018, mysterious explosions at the Natanz nuclear facility caused extensive damage to centrifuges at Natanz. And there have been a string of high-profile assassinations of Iran nuclear scientists, like that of Mohsen Fakhrezadeh in November 2020, which have been claimed to have been carried out by Israel's Mossad. The attack on Isfahan appears to be yet another attempt by Israel to hobble Iran's nuclear program. On the one hand, you have China, which is helping Pakistan build up world-class infrastructure, such as nuclear power plants. But on the other, you have groups like the TTP, who want to blast everything down to smithereens. Over 100 were killed and more than 225 have been injured in a suicide bombing in Peshawar on the 30th of January. The attack is the deadliest in a decade to hit this restive northwestern city near the Afghan border. Considering the security concerns, the targeted mosque had been recently built in order to allow the police to pray without leaving the secured area. The predominantly Sunni Pakistan has recently witnessed an uptick in terror attacks, most of which have been the handiwork of Pakistan Taliban. Our next report probes the dastardly attack inside a mosque. A powerful explosion ripped through a crowded mosque in Peshawar's Red Zone area on Monday. At least 300 to 400 people, mostly police officers, were inside the mosque praying with more approaching. When the attacker, who was allegedly in the front row, set off his explosives vest. The suicide blast blew away the wall of the prayer hall and caused an inner roof to cave in, crushing officers. Pakistani Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif rushed to Peshawar to pay a visit to the wounded. The prayer had started immediately after the Imam recited Allahu Akbar. The explosion hit us. I was standing in the second row, but I lost all my senses after the explosion. The roof collapsed with a big bang and people started screaming. Pakistani authorities were perplexed as to how the bomber managed to breach the security corridor, leading into the police lines district, which is a colonial-era, self-contained encampment in the center of the city, considered home by the middle and low-ranking police personnel and their families. Internal assistance in carrying out the attack has not been ruled out. There were about 140 vehicles that entered in the past one week. There is every possibility that the uh, explosive was hidden or the other the devices were hidden in some vehicle which were brought in and they were later assembled, but then somebody had to be living inside the compound uh, to assemble the device and take it and move into the mosque unchecked. It remains unclear as to who carried out the bombing. The outlaw Tariq e Taliban Pakistan, or TTP, initially claimed responsibility for the attack, but later distanced itself from the carnage, claiming that it was not its policy to attack mosques. Tariq e Taliban Pakistan, or Pakistani Taliban, are the dominant militant group in the Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province and Peshawar has been a frequent target in the past. 
But the Islamic State in Khorasan province, which is a regional affiliate of the Islamic State group and a rival of the Afghan Taliban, has also perpetrated daily attacks on Pakistani soil in recent years. Overall, there has been an escalation in violence since the US and NATO troops pulled out of neighboring Afghanistan in August 2021, after two decades of war. Could the Peshawar mosque blast be a revenge attack against the Pakistani police, which is at the forefront of fighting a resurgence in militancy? Monday's attack has dealt a cruel blow to a nation already grappling with economic and political turmoil, and has, once again, put a city long scarred by violence back on edge. A United States four-star general Mike Minahan has predicted war with China most likely over Taiwan by as early as 2025. The general who heads the Air Force's Air Mobility Command issued the warning in an internal memorandum. Pentagon, though, quickly distanced itself from the general's comments, clarifying that these are not representative of the department's view on China. The fractious US-China relations and the inevitability of an armed conflict has been a topic of hot debate. So how significant is the possibility of an all-out conflict between the two superpowers of the world? Our next report explores. At this moment, the United States is engaged in a bruising proxy war with Russia in Ukraine. The 24th of February will mark a year since the first Russian tanks rolled in. And since then, over one lakh casualties have occurred on both sides. Five times that number of people are said to have sustained serious injuries. And still, there are no prospect of talks, of a ceasefire and peace. It will take years of effort and money to prop Ukraine back to its pre-war status. The cost of this war is incalculable in terms of the hardships suffered and lives lost. In this context, why would a senior US general engage in a most worrying rhetoric of a looming conflict with China. The US four-star General Mike Minihan wrote an internal memo predicting precisely such a scenario. The veracity of the memo was confirmed by the Pentagon. In the memo sent to his officers, Mike Minihan urged his commanders to get ready to prep by firing a clip at a target and to aim for the head. He further elaborated on his reasoning that the 2024 presidential elections in Taiwan would offer Chinese President Xi Jinping with an excuse for military aggression. Coincidentally, the United States is also gearing up for a presidential election of its own in 2024. A distracted America, according to Minihan, would be an opportune moment for Xi Jinping to finally realize his one China dream. Xi Jinping secured his third term and set his war council in October last year. In the words of Mike Minihan, Xi's team, reason and opportunity are all aligned for 2025. Responding to his doomsday prophecy, Beijing retreated its stance that it will not shy away from using force in pursuit of the One China Principle. 
The source of the latest round of tensions in the Taiwan Strait is that Taiwan authorities have repeatedly sought to use the United States to gain independence. While some people in the U.S. are trying to use Taiwan to contain China, we urge the U.S. to abide by the One China Principle and the provisions of the three Sino-U.S. Joint Communiques and earnestly implement the promise of the U.S. leaders not to support Taiwanese independence. Stop meddling in the Taiwan issue, stop U.S.-Taiwan military ties, and stop creating new tensions in the Taiwan Strait. The past year witnessed the worst crisis in the Taiwan Strait when Nancy Pelosi landed in Taipei on the 2nd of August to honor what she described as America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. Her visit gave Beijing the perfect excuse to conduct the biggest military drills in the Taiwan Strait. Beijing immediately imposed a sea and air blockade on Taiwan, an autonomously governed island of 23 million. Shipping lanes were disrupted and air traffic was brought to a standstill. Putting Taiwan's air preparedness to test is nothing new. Chinese fighter jets repeatedly violate Taiwan's air defense identification zone as part of gray zone tactics. But this time around, even ballistic missiles were fired around Taiwan's coast. Admittedly, Xi Jinping has never minced his words regarding Taiwan. He has time and again exhorted the People's Liberation Army to prepare for war and threatened to unify Taiwan by force if push comes to shove. Joe Biden, on the other hand, has stood firm in his commitment to defend Taiwan militarily. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's the commitment we made. That's the commitment we made. We are not, look, here's the situation. We agree with a one-China policy. We've signed on to it, and all the attendant agreements made from there. But the idea that, that it could be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not, is just not appropriate. It will dislocate the entire region and be another action similar to what happened in, in, uh, in Ukraine. In a bid to counter China's military rise, the United States and Philippines announced a deal on the 2nd of February, which grants U.S. troops access to another four bases in the Southeast Asian nation. This fresh impetus to Washington-Manila ties is in response to Beijing's growing assertiveness and building of bases in the disputed South China Sea. With both parties walking a tightrope, any provocation in the form of an irresponsible remark could potentially be catastrophic. The harrowing death of a 29-year-old black motorist in Tennessee due to police brutality has sparked outrage and calls for justice and police reforms. The release of the graphic video on the 27th of January exposed to the world the gruesome and inhuman treatment that Tyree Nichols was subjected to by the police. Tyree Nichols was repeatedly kicked, punched and hit with a baton. Writhing on the floor, the 29-year-old Tyree Nichols was heard calling for his mother. Three days later, he breathed his last in a hospital.
But how did all this happen? Well, Tyree Nichols had been pulled over by the police for a traffic violation. Five black Memphis police officers have been fired from their jobs and charged with second-degree murder, among other offences. Our next report examines the latest high-profile instance of police brutality in the United States. This distressing body cam footage released by the U.S. city of Memphis shows the fatal encounter of Tyree Nichols with the police. An avid photographer, he was returning home from a park where he had gone to capture sunset. He was pulled over by the Memphis police for alleged reckless driving. The police first attempted to take him down by using a taser. As Nichols managed to evade them, he was chased down and beaten to a pulp. In the words of his family's lawyers, the police officers acted like a pack of wolves and beat him like a human pinata. The footage, which runs for about an hour, at one point shows Nichols crying out for his mother while he is repeatedly kicked and punched. Three days later, on the 10th of January, he succumbed to his injuries. All five police officers, Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr. and Justin Smith, were fired on the 21st of January after an internal police investigation. They have later been charged with second-degree murder and other offences. Here are the charges. Second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping resulting in bodily injury, aggravated kidnapping involving the possession of a weapon, official misconduct through unauthorized exercise of power, official misconduct through failure to act when there is a duty imposed by law, and official oppression. The release of the video was met with sorrow, anger, and exasperation. It tapped into the enduring frustration over young black men having fatal encounters with police officers. The death of Nichols, father of a four-year-old son and a FedEx employee, immediately drew comparisons with the May 2020 killing of George Floyd. Another black man suffocated to death by a white police officer in Minneapolis. Floyd's death, captured on film, had spread like wildfire and sparked a massive wave of protests across the United States and beyond. A seminal moment in the fight against racial injustice, it put the spotlight on the culture of police brutality in the United States. Following the release of Nichols' fatal video, President Joe Biden spoke with Nichols' mother to offer his condolences. I spoke with Tyree's mother and uh, expressed my condolences and told her that I was going to be making a case to the Congress to pass the George Floyd Act. We should get this under control. 
I can only do so much in an executive order at a federal level. And uh, and the prayer, I was really pleased that she called for no peaceful protest, no, no violence, no movement at all. The Memphis Police Department has permanently deactivated the Scorpion Unit, the special police unit to whom the five charged officers belonged. The statistics, though, aren't very promising. As many as 1,186 people died during interactions with police last year alone, the maximum in the last 10 years. Tyree Nichols' tragic death has elicited calls for reforming the institution of police in the United States. Whether this will lead to full accountability and the required police reforms is hard to predict. With that, it's a wrap on this edition of World at War. I'm your host, Rohit Wellington. Thanks for watching.